You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today in our conversation. I am extremely excited today about our topic, but equally excited about our guest. We are welcoming Luke Gordon with us today. He is the wife of Alana, the wife, the husband of Alana. (laughs) You can call me whatever you want of Alana. I'm fine with whatever. (laughs) He is the husband of Alana. Luke, welcome. We're so excited to have you join us today. Thanks for letting me hang out with you guys. So really quickly, I just have to say this because I've worked with Luke off and on. I've had him jump in some of my groups and listen to him a lot as he has done so much work with helping men in their own recovery. I am more and more impressed every time I listen. And let me just tell you, those who are listening, it's because of Luke and Alana and their journey and their experience and their willingness to share this and be extremely brave and vulnerable and share their experience with others to help those of you who are going through this navigate your journey and know that you're not alone. It is why I am honored to work with them in Choose Recovery Services. The more I learn from them, the more I am convinced that God allowed me to (laughs) go this direction and and be with them. It's remarkable. I am so excited about all the possibilities that I get to witness and be a part of with this company. So for those of you who have not ever listened to Luke, you are in for a treat today. So Luke, again, welcome. Glad you're here. Today we're talking about Alana's recovery model. And it's a, it's an awesome one. So Alana, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you. This recovery model, what it started with was really just watching a lot of couples go through similar stages. Everyone's journey is different. Everyone's path looks different, but there are some stages that seem to happen in the majority of couples. And when individuals get to them and couples get to them, it can be really confusing and it can be hard. And so I just started one day scribbling things onto a piece of paper. And with a couple of my clients, I literally in session had a notebook and some markers and just drew this and said, this is how I picture it. And then people started responding going, yes, this makes so much sense. Can you send it to me? And I'm going, oh, it's chicken scratch, but okay. <laughs> and I have tweaked it and added to it over the years. Hopefully it can be beneficial to those listening today. The idea behind it and why we're putting this in one of our first podcasts is that when you start this journey, all you know is that you don't want to be in pain. You just want things to be better. And what that actually looks like and what your own individual healing looks like, what the relationship healing looks like when the relationship should be saved or not be saved. And there's just all of these pieces to it 
that can feel like a lot. And then you throw in addiction and triggers and trauma and all of that stuff. And it just can be really complicated. So hopefully this can simplify it just a little bit. Luke, I know you've used that sometimes with your clients. Yeah, I've used a lot of things that Alana's created when it comes to talking women through the journey of healing. So for those men who are listening, and one of the big things I think about in the start of my journey was, is I'm like, okay, if I can share all this stuff with my wife, all the crazy stuff that I've been up to, give her the laundry list, my dirty laundry list of everything that's going on. I'm assuming that if our, if we don't split up, that if she doesn't divorce me, there will be a period of time and she'll, time will heal it and, and we'll be able to move on and go life to back as normal. And what I found out very quickly was that wasn't at all the case. There were steps and processes and things that had to happen as a part of the journey. So I think for many of the men that I work with, it's refreshing to know, oh, there's actually a roadmap for this. There's actually something not necessarily a timeline, but a roadmap for both couples journey in, in healing. Some guys totally dig it. Some guys are like, I don't quite get it. And Alana will talk through it, but it's, it can be useful once you see it. So let me ask a quick question and maybe this needs to come later. And if that's, if that's the case, just let me know. But Luke, I'm curious, what is it that most guys think this, I don't get it. What don't they get about this? Are there any commonalities there? Yeah, I was working with a guy the other day and I actually met with him and his wife and we walked through the model because he really wanted, and I got it. He wanted to, there was the betrayal trauma that she was going through, but there was stuff that he wanted to talk about, some pain that he was experiencing. And they were living in the same house. They weren't separated physically. And he was just like, when do we get to bring my stuff up? When do we get to talk about my stuff? And he thought his wife was just being insensitive by not hearing him. But what, after we walked through the road map, it was the understanding of why it was not appropriate to address his pain at this point in time. And he slowly got it. It took a little while and took some more processing, some more sessions, but it's that part of the journey they can't quite understand until they see the roadmap. Gotcha. That makes sense. Interesting. So it sounds like this is requiring a lot of humility and patience from the men to be able yeah. to hold their wife's pain. And I know Alana is going to talk about where they need to go and how far they need to go in this, but that's interesting. And I think this is harder for some of the men and I'm going to, maybe this is going to be triggering for some of the women that hear this, but when we call it just porn, I didn't, my journey, unfortunately involved acting out with other people. So it doesn't have to be this, but I came, I came to this thing going like, I got to fight tooth and nail for my marriage to work. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I at the beginning, I wasn't really necessarily even worried about my own pain because I knew that I caught, I knew that I really couldn't address my pain because I was just hoping that Alana wouldn't leave at any moment. So that was a blessing in disguise because whether it was humility or not for me willing to do anything to make the marriage work, she could say anything, she could do anything. And I was just going to be all in to help. And one of the things I've noticed with guys when it's just porn, depending on their take on it, they will often get hung up on 
well, can't we talk about the stuff that's hard for me? Can't we talk about your issues? Can't we talk about those things? And so sometimes it depends on the situation. And if he's been battling pornography for a very long period of time and she knows about it, it can sometimes this roadmap can, Alana can tell us a little bit about how it applies to people that they don't have the D-Day of sorts, but I'm getting the car ahead of the horse. Sorry, I have one more question because you said something that I want to address. When you said you got to this point, I'll do anything in your question with that humility. I'm going to say it is because I didn't have that. (laughs) And I, but does that attitude, is that kind of the attitude that's required to begin this recovery model, Alana? Like, do they need to have that thought of I'll do anything to save my marriage in order to start working this model? That's a really good question. No, but it sure helps. You can start anywhere. You can start with any attitude and progress and move forward. But I will give four things that you really need if you're going to have any type of marriage repair work done. And any man who's been in one of my men's group or people that have been around me long enough will have heard me say these so many times that they can say it for me, which is they need humility, transparency, vulnerability, and empathy. And if they can't learn how to have those things consistently, I don't have a whole lot of hope for them to have a good connected marriage. So I'm going to say those again, because they are that important. Humility, transparency, vulnerability, and empathy. Those are game changing. I will see men and we'll go over this with the roadmap in just a minute, but I'll see men get in these points where they are feeling really good about things that they're doing, like having sobriety or not acting out, but there's no humility or there's no transparency. They're just saying things like, I'm good. Like, why can't you trust me? I'm good but then they're not actually giving any details about what that means, what that looks like. We don't get these four things in place. It makes it almost impossible for the marriage to heal at the level of true healing where you can move forward and feel connected and feel safe in the relationship again. And the one thing that I think about as a part of it is a lot of guys, including myself will be like, I am, I'm, I'm humble or I'm empathetic or I'm transparent. It doesn't really matter what you think. It matters what, how your, what your wife thinks. Does she think she's, you're being empathetic? Does she think you're being humble? Cause so often I'm like, yeah, I am. And then Alana weighs in on it and I don't like it. And I run to being, I run to deflecting, you know, I run to all sorts of gaslighting to try to prove to her that I'm doing one of all four of those things. And ultimately, if I'm trying I feel like that's so huge what you just said. I really do. I feel like so many men are stuck in that place where they feel like they're being humble and transparent and honest, but the wife isn't. And then they stay stuck in that place. I really appreciate you saying that. And I think what it, what we have to learn to do is learn to validate her experience. And so I also see 
a lot of men who get caught up in intent versus impact. Mm. That's a big, hard place to get stuck in because Mm. their intentions were to never hurt their wife or their intentions were good. Or maybe they do something that they don't realize can feel very unsafe to their spouse. Their intentions weren't bad, but the impact of that And can we be aware and sensitive to what her experience is and what the impact is? That is a crucial piece of this roadmap that we're going to lay out. And I want to, I want to be in the guy on here. I just want to validate the guys, the, the emotional and spiritual endurance you have to be to stay in that place while your wife is in pain. It's the miracle. Okay. It's the miracle that happens in this journey. I know Alana's okay with me sharing this because we've talked about it before, but she brought a lot of emotion to our conversations and she didn't hold back. She didn't beat around the bush. She would try to remind me of the pain that I caused her. And that wasn't coming from a place of, of wanting me to at times fix the, the damage that I caused. And it wasn't possible. The amount of tenacity a guy has to have walking this journey to create safety is is the miracle. That's beautiful. I really love that. Hmm. So let's lay out a little bit of what this roadmap looks like. And I'm going to have to try really hard to do this all verbally. I am a visual person, so I like it laid out pretty on paper and clear with arrows and lines and all of that. We will link it in the show notes so you can go look at it as well, but I will try to do my best to explain it. And I'm going to trust Amy and Luke that you help me with this if I'm not making sense. But as I start, I want to just say that listen for the principles that is behind this. So if this isn't your exact experience, that's okay. Listen for the principles behind it and the tools and, and then what works for you take and what doesn't work for you, you get to choose for you and you can just take that out. So a lot of couples, they are going along and there is a D day or a disclosure of some sort. So information comes out. Now, when they are on this path, so imagine you have this road going down the street, okay? Forever road, and you're going down the road, and all of a sudden, there is this huge bomb in the road. The road explodes. She's hurt. He's hurt. And they're both trying to make sense of what just happened. At this point, a lot of couples will decide, okay, we need to get some kind of healing, there needs to be some kind of recovery work. Now I'm speaking to the couples here and I will speak to those who don't have somebody in their life who is choosing to work their recovery. I'll come to that after I finish this. But a lot of times you'll come to a therapist who's trained in betrayal trauma and sexual addiction, or you'll come to a group and you'll hear things like, you need to work on your own stuff and you need to work on your own stuff. So there can be like this separation. And so it's almost like you've had this explosion in the road and now she goes way over here and she's going to be working on her own healing. 
and he's going to go way over here and work on his own healing. And for couples, that can sometimes feel really scary. The reason why we tend to do this separation is we just had this massive bomb explode in the road and we need to create safety. And unfortunately, there's not safety in the relationship right now because of the bomb, because of those choices that were made that caused this explosion. And so they each have things that they need to do for their healing. So for her, a lot of times she goes into this place of fight, flight, or freeze. And it is just that survival mode of her brain kicks in. To some degree, her brain goes offline and that survival instinct kicks in. And there can be a wide variety of trauma responses. We talked about that in our last um, episode. And this is a period where her work begins of really focusing on getting stability and making sure she's safe. She just had this massive bomb go off. Like we need to triage and figure out what's happening, figure out how much damage has been caused. How do we get her stable? How do we get her safe? So that's what's happening with her. Luke, do you mind speaking to now what's happening on the other side of it with the husband who's on the other side of the road? Yeah. What happens is if we speak to a D-Day, like he's, well, use me an example. I've got all this stuff that nobody knows about. I'm living a dual life and I decided to share it with Alana. So her world blows up. My world blows up. I knew the bomb was going to go off to a certain extent, but one of the things that I do is I go, okay, I'm going to, I need to fix what's going on with me. I recognize that there's some problem, there's problems in my life. Some guys think at the beginning of the journey, they're like, all I got to do is share and then I'm better. I just got to confess and then everything's okay. But for the guys that go, okay, I do have a problem. I'm using this behavior and over again, and I need to fix my brain. If we want to call it that he goes and starts his journey. Maybe he goes and sees a therapist. Maybe he joins a group. Maybe he gets a sponsor um, of sorts and he starts to learn how to rewire his brain. So he stops making the decisions that he's making. The common mistake there is that he thinks that, again, confessing everything will solve the problem. Because a lot of times when that bomb goes off, it's so horrible and he hated it so much and he's so sad about the pain that he caused his wife. He's, I'll never do that again. Never. And what he soon realizes or will realize is, oh, unfortunately, even that pain won't keep me from falling back into my choices. So I have to change my brain. And he starts on that journey. One big stuck point that I will see with men is once they have gained sobriety, for a lot of them, it's they've had more sobriety than they've ever had in their adult life. And they're feeling really good. They're feeling really on top of the world. And so they can go to this place of see how good I'm doing. Why can you not see how good I'm doing? Why can you not just be happy for me? But at the same time, for her experiences, I didn't know this was happening all along. And now you're telling me you went this amount of time without lusting after somebody else and you want me to celebrate that. And so even them doing well sometimes can be painful for the wife, which can also be confusing for her. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that detox, that sobriety is the first step. And a lot of times men interpret that because they haven't maybe felt that in a while. 
this is the one and done. It's end all. They're there. They've arrived. But it's just that first step in recovery to recovery. Exactly. Yeah, and often we'll, and there's two different situations. There's the guy that struggles to gain sobriety on that journey, his own journey. And, and there's some humility there as he's trying to do it. But the guy that just confessed and goes on his journey and has a lot of it, he's very quick to remind his wife of, Hey, guess what? I just hit my 90 90 day mark. I remember Alana saying this, what do you want me to do? Give you a high five for not looking at porn. That's a deal (laughs) in our marriage. That's the baseline. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, that desire to celebrate it is really good. It's just finding people that you can celebrate it with that are excited to celebrate with you versus again, intent versus impact. Your impact could potentially be really hard for her as you're trying to get her to celebrate those wins. For women in their beginning stages with the fight, flight, or freeze, one area where I see some women get stuck is they never come out of the fight, flight, or freeze that they don't take the time to understand the trauma responses. They don't honor what their body's trying to say. They either go to a place of denial or suppression, but unfortunately the body keeps the score and what you bury alive never dies. So those are titles of books, by the way, but they say so much in it. That's where women can get stuck in that first stage. Now, Amy, you look like you were going to say something. (laughs) I was just going to agree with you and just say that is where I feel like it's critical for the women to get that one-on-one help. Support groups are great, but I feel like in that early raw trauma, they need a trained betrayal trauma therapist to help them navigate that very raw state right there because they yeah, I want to comment on that from a guy watching uh, from a guy watching other men go through their journey it makes me really sad and a lot of other emotions along with sad when I watch a family sacrifice to put their the the man through recovery and the woman's just uh, sitting there w- waiting and watching for and hoping he gets better and I'm like I'm like, what about her recovery? Where does the financial investment go into that? And I think women are so ready to ha- have their husbands get healing that they get left in the dust. And Elder Holland actually mentioned that in one of the talks. He says, "I the church recognizes that the, how did he say it? It, it wasn't a talk. It was at UCAP, the Utah Coalition Against Pornography. He was a keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. And after he had finished, he did some Q and a woman was speaking to her pain. And he just said, we as leaders of the church know what a big issue this is. And the wife's pain is so important. And it's the, oh, I, I wish I would have remembered his words, but basically it's the, it's an area that needs extra care and extra attention moving forward so we can do better. And I remember as a woman who was still in it, feeling so validated of how sensitive he was to that, but That message of if he gets better, I'll do better is such a common misconception. Yes. Big time. I really am glad that you just brought that up. I think a lot of the women that I work with are still in that frame of mind. If he's okay, then I'll be okay. 
How do the, here, let me ask you a question, Alana and Amy. How do you, how does a woman know if she's getting better? Is that the flight, fight, flight or freeze thing that she's not doing that as much anymore? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. We talked about it a little bit when we were talking last episode about trauma responses and triggers, but it's your triggers and trauma responses do start getting a little more stretched out where in the beginning you may have them all day long from the minute you wake up till you go to bed. And even in the night when you're having nightmares also though, is how quickly you're working through it and your ability to allow you to be where you are, I think is a good point too, because I've seen some women who are really quick to go, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, you're just getting really good at denial. So there's a difference between learning how to feel it and be in the moment and work through it and just getting good at shoving it down. And don't you think yes to everything you just said. And don't you think there's something to be said too about the emotional regularity as also helping to determine how well we're doing in our own healing? Because there's women who are divorced and still stuck and still reliving the trauma and having trauma responses from my own experience and from what I'm finding in coaching, it's really all along the way for women in their healing, learning to honor every single emotion and know that every single emotion along this journey is okay. And learning how to process that I think is a, is a big part in answering your, your question, Luke, is that when you can get really good at feeling the negative, and feeling, not reacting, rejecting, or avoiding, but um, feeling it. I think that's a great way to, to know where you're at. I love that you brought that up. And that actually leads into the next part of her healing is learning how to regulate emotions. And oftentimes with trauma, you can feel like you're on this massive roller coaster where you are just, your emotions are twisting and turning and dropping and your stomach's in your throat. And the next minute you're going backwards and then forwards. And ideally, like life is always going to have its ups and downs, but it gets to a place where it's more of that slow rolling feeling that you can handle versus this whiplash that comes. And yeah, that's the next part of her healing is really learning how to regulate her emotions, which includes learning to feel them, learning to express them in ways that she feels like still honors her dignity. Because sometimes women will learn, okay, I need to do better at voicing myself and expressing my opinions and honoring my feelings. And I will tell you some of my feelings that sometimes like I literally wanted to de-gut my husband. I fantasized about cutting him down his body. And I'm this, I'm sorry, I know this is super visual, but like all of his insights falling out and or driving down the road and like opening up my door and pushing him out. And I would picture his body like rolling down the freeway. And I had to learn to I'm dying right now. And I really wish all of you who listening could watch Luke's face. <laughs> it's a little different than the first few times I heard it because she told me all about it when it happened. I, yeah. We've come a long way, but there was this balance of the feelings were intense. So how do you honor that while still maintaining my dignity? 
Because the truth is there were times I hit him. There were times I threw something at him. And then one time it put me in an all out panic attack. And other times I just went into deeper depression because that wasn't honoring who I am. Like people who know me and if they hear that I was like that type of behavior, they're blown away because they're like, that's not you. Like I'm usually a pretty calm person, but that is the trauma and learning how to honor that in a way that still honors me and my values. But that's the reacting part, right? That's not feeling. So when we find ourselves doing that, and my gosh, I can relate to everything you just said about disembodying, but like that right there, learning how to take that. And one example you give that you did, I love is just taking eggs and you chuck them at the back of your shower, just anything to handle that kind of intensity in a healthier way where it's not directed to your spouse, but when we're reacting in the way that you just described that you did, that is not a healthy way of feeling the emotion. And so going back to this part of your model of learn to regulate your emotions, it's understanding all of this, understanding that, yes, man, I'm having some pretty intense emotions right now. And I just want to hit something. Let's not hit the person. Let's not harm people or things, but there's ways that we can express that emotion and honor it. I love that word in a healthy way that, to your point, keeps you moving forward, keeps you in your strength and in your power. Exactly. And I just want to bring up like Luke, during this time, I imagine for you who has been totally sober and who was doing everything in his power, all, although not perfectly because he was still learning and growing, but doing everything he could to create safety and this anger was coming months and years sometimes into recovery. What was that like for you? <sighs> scary. Not just scary because you wanted to gut me, but scary just because I recognized there was so much of her healing that was in my control. Mm. You know, the, uh, just because if I did it, everything perfectly didn't mean that our marriage was going to make it. Not saying I did everything perfectly, so please don't take it that way but not being frustrated and confused that she's not getting better, even though I'm not losing any battles. So, yeah. That, that's such an important piece of this is Luke could do everything right and it wouldn't fix me. And I wanted it to fix me. I wanted him to fix me. I wanted him to make this better and I couldn't fix him. That's a hard one. I think that's a hard one that gets a lot of people discouraged and give up. And I think we're giving me way too much credit for doing it because I think about the parts of the journey that I, I learned and drug Alana through as I learned was very painful. You know, I remember very early part of the journey with interactions with the opposite set with other women at my workplace. In the beginning, when I supposedly humble, I'm pushing back on her saying, Hey, lunches." one-on-one -on -one if it's a work setting is totally appropriate. And she's like, no, it's not. And my therapist took five sessions to get me to a place where I understood what healthy looked like. There was other things where I would lie, um, not bold-faced lie, but I would omit information. And she could very clearly see that that was happening, but I had to 
learn new patterns of being healthy with honesty. And it, and I was trying, I just couldn't see it. So I was still traumatizing my wife all the time, even though it wasn't losing battles. And even just in my response, and that's what makes this journey so difficult and so hard. This is so big because after a man gets sobriety, his next part of his journey is working recovery. And I so bad wanted, okay, if he came forward or if he got caught, that means that he's like going to be this new person. I didn't not like this process of him having to learn. I wanted to be able to just say, no, this is the way it is. And him to hear me and understand me and get it. Mm. But any type of learning, unfortunately, takes learning. And that process was so painful to watch. And I think it's painful both ways. Yeah. One of the things that I think about is none of this was sustainable if I did it for Alana. So she was interested in me learning something and teaching me something. And because she knew it was healthy, I had to understand it for myself. And actually, very rarely could she teach me a concept, even though she completely knew it. I had to learn it another way. I had to learn it from a therapist. I had to learn it from another guy in group. God just had to give me a, a burning bush. I, I didn't learn things from her. And I think that's so frustrating that she knew about addiction and sexual addiction way before I did. She picked up books immediately. I'm in this thing for eight, nine, 10 weeks before I even attend my first group. It just, it's, that's the painful part for, I can see for the wives is watching that. And, and it's not for the guys that are genuinely trying. It's not because they don't care or they don't want to try. It's just, it's a slow journey. And if it's done, it's done for themselves and not for their wives. And I think one of the biggest pieces in this whole recovery roadmap is consistency over time. If he can be really good and do some really wonderful behaviors, and then it lasts for a few weeks or a few months, and then he destroys her trust again, and then is good for a few weeks and a few months, and then destroys her trust again, A, this causes the complex trauma because she never knows when she's really going to be safe, and B, there's no consistency. Yeah, those behaviors are great, but it's consistency over time that builds that trust and rebuilds the marriage. I'm glad you brought that up. And I it might be deterring just a tad, but can you speak to those women? I feel like there's a lot of women in that situation right there where they are, they're trying to work it. They feel like they might be getting somewhere and then boom, something comes out. And then again and again, and that secondary trauma is just, we'll talk about that later. That's almost too much to bear. But what do you have to say to those women who are in that situation? In a nutshell, start looking for patterns. We get so focused on the day-to-day and it's easy to go, okay, but he did this and, oh, he's stressed out because of work or oh, it's this why he's actually behaving this way. And we get so um, narrow, nearsighted in what we are seeing or not seeing. And so we have to step back and look at patterns. What is happening between us overall in the relationship? How frequently are we repeating the same cycle? Some people's cycle is on a daily basis. Some people's every few weeks. Some people's every few months, some even have the same cycle every single like year or two. 
So you got you, it would be very helpful to start recognizing what these patterns look like in your relationship. And so much of healing and recovery is looking at those patterns and stepping out of the ones that are unhealthy, breaking those patterns. That's where boundaries really make a big difference. 100%. And you're right. Just in case women who are listening, who are finding themselves in that situation, I wanted to give them just a little tidbit before you go back to the recovery model. For sure. So that actually brings us back to the recovery model. So this period of her working through the fight, flight, and freeze, learning how to regulate emotions always will take longer than you expect for her and for him. I can't tell you how many women have told me almost word for word when they're at their first year mark, they're going, I thought I would be further along. I thought I would be over this. Why am I still in so much pain? And so there's no timeline for this. And it, it takes as long as it needs to take. As he is working his journey and he's working recovery and he's working to be humble and to be vulnerable and to put himself out there, even when she may come back with some scary feelings, when he's being empathetic to her pain and when he's being honest and transparent, as he does this, sometimes what can happen is other people will look at them and they'll go, oh my word, look at all the amazing things you're doing. You're showing up and you're giving 100% to this marriage. You are being the husband that she deserves. You're creating safety for her. You're holding her pain. You're doing this, you're doing this. And what's her problem? I've heard bishops say this. I've heard family members say this. I've heard therapists who are not trained in B12 trauma say this. And it's usually from a really good place, but it's for a lack of understanding around the trauma. And so during this period, we have had this power and balance back when secrets are being hid and information is unknown and he's living in a way that's outside of their marriage values, that shifted the power dynamic in the relationship to where he was holding the power and keeping that information. Now, even though he's giving 100%, which is really wonderful, we want that, she is still in a place where she is tending to some massive wounds. And so he can stay here. He's back on the road at 100% going, why aren't, why aren't you coming back to the road? Like, I'm here. I've done my work. I'm creating safety. I'm on the road. Come back over here. And she's in a place of most of the time, a lot of these women, they want to come back. They want to feel safe. They want to trust again. They want to forgive but they're not in a place that they're ready yet or capable of that. And so what I tell men is I say hundred percent is good, but right now just come 180%. If you really saw her over on the side of the road with broken bones and bleeding, would you stay hundred percent at the road and be like, I'm doing hundred percent. No. If she really were hurt physically, back with this bomb and you're well enough that you can make it to the road, you would go that 180% and you would come be with her and you're not a doctor, so you can't fix her. You can't heal her wounds, but you can comfort her and you can be with her and you can hold her pain to a whole new level. 
this is this. And I know the numbers don't actually make sense 180%, but this is where I want to see that 180% behavior. This So this is really interesting for me because I did not, like you and Luke, have someone who was willing to do his own healing. There was a point where he agreed to do some ARP, but I think the shame got in the way and quit that. Then he wanted to do the local SSA, got a sponsor. I remember being so excited and feeling yes. And thinking, yes, just fix yourself and then we'll all be better and I'll go back to being normal. I remember thinking that and then him quitting that as well. And uh, it has been really interesting for me to learn the recovery model, learn about what real recovery looks like from the, for the addict. That's been an interesting aspect to my own healing journey. I think there's a lot of women out there who can relate where we didn't have someone willing to do the work. And it's easy to get to this place where you think, oh, if we only had this <laughs> back then, what would have been, what could have things been like? And I just, I hope if you are in that place and you're listening to this, that you can allow the past to be the past and mm. to allow what happened. And now learning this recovery model this is really valuable and this will help you in the future. Let's talk to the women who maybe are single. Maybe you're going through divorce or you are just divorced or in this place and you haven't found someone yet. Learning this recovery model and learning what real recovery looks like and the what the man, and again, we're totally just assuming that the man is the addict and the woman's the betrayed in this place, but... Alana and I both recognize this goes both ways, mm -hmm. but recognize, recognizing what is required of the man. And I love the humility, transparency, honesty, all of that vulnerability is so important for you women who are in this place to understand, because this is what you're going to look for when you do get back into that dating situation. When you do consider remarrying, you want to know this. And as I encourage you, if you are in this place to work with me, I love working with women who are in this place right here because there are ways to understand this and apply this to your future relationships, because I know there's a lot of fear getting into another relationship when you didn't have this model, you didn't have this example of what a man does to recover and to work for the marriage. So now what do you expect now? What do you look for now? So this is powerful and, in, and incredible. And I encourage women who are maybe thinking this doesn't apply to me. I'm not married. He's not doing the work. Please still listen and learn this recovery model. Well, and I'm so glad you brought that up. And the next part of this is where as she does start to heal a little bit, she moves back towards the road and whether you're doing this in a relationship with somebody who is a person who hurt you or it's a new relationship, what happens next is going to be similar. So what can happen? And this I'll tell you is confusing for everybody. <laughs> because as she starts to heal some, 
she does start to move back towards this road because the road equals moving forward to where she wants to be, even though she is progressing all along. But she does try to move back towards the road. But as she moves back towards the road, what's the last thing that happened on that road? The massive bomb exploded. She was so hurt. So her brain, again, doing exactly what it's wired to do, her brain being a really good, strong brain, trying to keep her alive, sets up all these red flags that say, warning, you're not okay. You're not safe. So a lot of times she'll start moving towards the road and then she'll pull back mm-hmm. because she'll get scared, naturally get scared. Mm-hmm. And so when you pull back away from the road, sometimes there can be this, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I slipping back? Am I back at the beginning? That's a really common one I hear. You're not, but it's very common to feel that. And then for a husband who, if he has gone the 180%, feels like they're, okay, we're finally moving forward together. And then all of a sudden she backslides. Some men can get really impatient with that or be confused and take that personally. And the best thing that a husband who is working can do is he can just stay with her, just be gentle and just understand, oh, that was scary. Let me just stay by your side. Let me be empathetic. Let me continue to be vulnerable. Let me be transparent with where I am at. Let me be humble. And then as she again moves towards the road, maybe she'll get a little closer and that pull away from the road and closer again and pull away. And it can feel so up and down day to day, week to week. And that is part of the progression, but it, in the moment, if you're not taking that stepping away view, then it can be really hard to see that this actually is a sign of healing and progression. Yeah. And if those of you who are pulling up this recovery model from the show notes, I hope you are, you'll see that jagged up and down line. And if you notice it is moving forward, it's going up and down, but it's still moving forward and slowly up. I think that visual, I'm like you, I I love visual. I think that's really powerful. And I, it is so, this is so valuable. Honestly, I, I just feel like this is so valuable for women who are going through this. I know when I teach this to women in my groups, it's almost, oh my gosh, you can just see the weight come off of their shoulders because they can be a little bit more compassionate and kind to themselves during this up and down when you know what to expect, when you know this is part of it. And even for the husband to know this is part of it, so valuable. Well, and so an important piece to bring up here is, so what if my husband's not working recovery? Or what if my wife is not recovery? What does that mean? The good news is you do get to still move forward and progress and heal as an individual. The bad news is for a healthy relationship, it does take two people being involved. That's part of having a healthy relationship. Yeah. That does not mean that you can't move forward and keep healing That does not mean that you have to stay wherever your partner is at. If your partner is choosing to stay in a place that is really unhealthy and you don't want to be in that place anymore, 
you can keep progressing and healing and moving forward in the marriage or outside of the marriage, depending on your unique circumstances. 100%. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Like I've mentioned before to the listeners, my story didn't end that way and had a spouse who didn't want to do the work. And so it is important to know what you just said, that when one spouse chooses not to do his part or her part, you still have the strength and power to do yours. You still are allowed the life that you want. And there are tools to help you get there. Let me ask you something, this up and down. I don't think I've ever asked you this before, but as I'm watching the scale kind of climb like a stock market, it goes up and then we come back down. Am I often assuming that when we come back down, and down meaning we maybe maybe we have a trauma response, maybe we get triggered, maybe we have our emotions get intense and we aren't processing them very well. Would that be considered that down? In that place, do you think that would be a helpful time to take what I call an active recovery where you just kind of going along with your analogy on the road, you just set your suitcase down and cop a squat on your suitcase and just sit there for a second. Like you're not hightailing it off the road. You're not saying peace out. I'm done. But you just sit down a minute, take a chill. I feel like that's active recovery. You're still moving in recovery, but like active in it. But we just need a little bit of a break. Would that be, would that fall into that down part of your scale or a different place? It, it can happen anywhere along the journey. Uh, also love the Texan that just came out and you there. That was fun. But yes, it's really important to know and allow yourself that there will be times in the journey that it is absolutely not only okay, but essential for you to take moments and breaks. And so it means like, if you're going to sit down on the path, we're not going to unpack and we're not going to live there. But yes, taking that moment to rest and to breathe. I remember one time Luke and I, we were traveling and we had been doing recovery work day and night for months. And our therapist said, why don't you just have a weekend where you don't get to talk recovery? And I remember that thought was really scary to me mm. because, well, if we're not talking recovery, then we're just going to go back to old ways. Yeah. And, but Funny thing is we went a few hours with no recovery, talked about it some, but then we were able to quickly shut it down and then enjoy some time. And then when we got back, life picked up as normal and we got back on the path and we're doing our work, but it was important for me to have those periods where there were just some times that it was okay to go, this is a lot right now. Yeah, I like that. So then let me ask Luke, what would you say? So when you found Alana going on that down spike, as we're looking at this graph of the kind of stock market and you feel like, oh, we're doing great. She's coming up. And then she goes down. Where's your head and how maybe originally, where was your thoughts? And then how did you make, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, how did you resolve your own emotions 
when she was down in that space? Uh, I think the guys that are around me that were farther in the journey than me brought some good perspective. I remember I'd get sad, uh, frustrated, angry at her. Um, just like, oh man, I thought we were doing better. Like I thought we were like getting close to back to normal or some version of that. You seem like you like me. Now you're just back there and unkind things. I'm sure a lot of them were coming from the adversary. Like I just, is she always going to be in this pain? And it was, it felt like day, it felt like day one all over again, but it was so stupid because it wasn't even close to day one. If I go back and read my journal on day one, not even close. Mm. So I, I remember one guy, I started to share my pain <laughs> of my, of what was going on with us. And all he put literally, all he said to me is, is how do you think she feels? And this guy loved me. Like this guy cared about me, but he's like, what do you think this is like for her? And immediately I went to shame and then immediately I went, oh yeah, thanks for the perspective. Literally, seriously, appreciate the perspective because I'm all letting the pain be about me. And then just continue to work the same process that I always had when it getting better and better. And it, I'm telling you, there was never like, actually there was a couple big moments. I can remember we went away for BYU education week and that was a big spike and things getting a lot better. But overall it was just up and down the whole time. Mm -hmm. You said something that, of course, I have to jump on <clears throat> is the importance of journal writing. I think I can't speak enough to this. I'm an avid journal writer. I still have journals from when I was five years old. <laughs> I'm a journal freak, but so this stood out to me. It is so valuable for both to be keeping journals, to be writing things down, because what you just said there, I think, is powerful. When you do get to that point where you go, you feel like you've gone down, gone backwards, pull out those journals, watch how you really have progressed for both the husband and the wife. I think that is incredibly powerful. Maurice talks about journal writing because he needed proof that his brain was changing. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. He needed proof that God was helping his brain change. And I can see that when I look at journals, for sure. <laughs> I actually will sometimes do this with my client is I'll go back. And when they're in this place of I'm back at the beginning, I'm not healing. I'll go back to my notes of when I met with them the first time. And I'll say the first time we met, <laughs> this is some things that I had taken note of where you were at. Mm -hmm. And I actually just did that last week and the client started crying and just went, oh my word. Oh my word. This is, I couldn't see it. And it is, it's so hard to see it when you're in the middle of it. It's not a character flaw. It's just when you're in the middle of the storm and you're trying to see where the storm starts and where it ended and make sense of all of the things flying around you in the hurricane, yeah. it's really hard to have that clarity. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think this is why it is so important. I do the same thing with my clients. That's interesting. And it, it is such a cool moment when you can go back and go, hold on a second. Let me tell you what I see. <clears throat> and it is an emotional experience. But this is to also why I think it's so valuable to work one-on-one -on -one with someone. Because our brain is always trying to tell us what is wrong and what we're doing wrong. And so to have someone that you're working your recovery with say, hold on a second. This is how far you've come. I love that part of my job is to sit, to look those women in the eyes and say, no, you are moving forward. Let me show you how you're progressing. That's powerful.
There's a trash truck. I'll let it pass before I pick up. Thank you so much for sharing that, Amy. And it, it is, it's a powerful place to be. And it's a way that you can continue to remember that you are progressing, you are learning, you are growing. There's this thought that Luke, you mentioned at the beginning of just wanting life to be back to normal. I hear men say that. I hear women say that. So they're going on this path. They, they want to just go back to the way it was. They want to go back to the way that um, it was before. And as long as we're holding on to the past, it makes it really hard to move forward in the future. And if the past included any form of lying or manipulation or hiding of secrets or unfaithful behavior, we don't want to go back to that. We want to create something new and something better. We want to keep moving forward. So this roadmap is to help give that of these are some of the things we do as we're moving forward. The other thing I hear men bring up that Luke, I'll have you speak to is this, when does my stuff get to be on the table? So here she is and she's been going back and forth and she's still wounded. She's still not ready just to be walking on the road again. And he's going, but I'm in pain too. And I've been going my 180%. When does my stuff come up? So here's the great news for the guys. Your stuff has to come up. It has to be a part of the healthy relationship, the healthy marriage in the future. So I just want to tell you, if you're patient and you both have a process, you will get to have a voice with what you're feeling. What I noticed is the things that were important to me very early on that I wanted a voice with aren't as important to me later after I had a lot of sobriety. Mm -hmm. um, and there were some things that were crucial that had to be really painful for Alana and I to bring up that I thought would kill our marriage. If I said things about her character weaknesses and she had to hear them, I'm like, yeah, that'll finish us off. But it was really important that took place after there was a lot of holding her pain. There was a lot of her working her recovery, finding that it just comes. And it's a very, it's very important that the time is appropriate. Mm. Timing. Yeah. Makes sense. There is a model that it's called the multidimensional partner trauma model, and it breaks up a, a woman's healing into three phases. And so they say phase one is safety and stability, which includes discovery, disclosure, if there's any relational abuse, her really getting stabilized, that's in that first phase. And in the second phase, it's remembering and mourning. And that includes grief work, addressing any ongoing safety issues, relational trauma issues. And then phase three is the reconnecting. The reconnecting is rebuilding trust, vision for the future, move into any family of origin work if you need to, relationship and intimacy building, and moving on and helping others. And for a woman whose relationship does not work, rebuilding trust in yourself rebuilding trust in God, re rebuilding trust in others. Actually, all women need that. So with this, where does couples work fit into all of this for those who want to do couples work? I recommend for relationships who are planning to stay together, couples work can be very beneficial. 
that first stage where she's working with a fight, flight or freeze, where she's working on her stabilization and he's working on gaining sobriety, they both need to do that on their own. They both need to learn how to get grounded and anchored on their own Mm -hmm. so they can show up to the relationship and be interdependent so we can have that healthy connection. The next stage of healing, something I call early couples work can be done with somebody again, who is trained in betrayal trauma, where it's helping her learn to have a voice and helping him learn how to hold her pain. So that's him having somebody trained in these skills to help him learn how to come that 180%. One big question I've had after doing this model is men go, how do I do the 180%? What does that actually look like? Yes, it looks like the vulnerability, the transparency, the empathy, the humility. Yes, it's all of that. But depending on the level of unhealthy patterns you have, having somebody that can really hold your hand and help you learn how to do it and help the two of you learn how to navigate these conversations. Notice none of this early couples work is what are your needs? Now, what are your needs? Let's have each other meet our needs. Mm -hmm. We're not doing that. It's really about him just holding her pain. Then further down the road, I'm talking like a year or two or more down the road, when she has had enough healing and enough safety has been established in the relationship, then we move on to, to more typical couples work. I love that. That's, that is, I, again, so incredibly helpful and powerful for those who are listening, who are in the middle of this. And who gets to determine whether they're for, they get to move forward with couples work? How does that Good question. You move as quickly as the slowest person. And typically that's the person who was traumatized. Ooh, say that again. You move as quickly as the slowest person. Love it. I love it. And I love that because it really goes to the point we were making even earlier about healing and our expectations. If you're looking at this model, it is easy to, we love checklists and it's so easy to look at this and go, okay, we're here, check. Hey, we're here, check. Hey, we're here, check. We should be here by now. I, I know you would agree with me in this, Alana and Luke, that is harmful better than helpful. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people who will go, yeah. oh, we're here. And either she's going, no, we're not. Or <laughs> the therapist is going, mm, I'm so sorry. That's not where you're at yet. We yeah. tend to over um, estimate where we are in the journey because we have high hopes to get out of the pain quicker. That's oh. usually why we try to rush this process is because we don't want to be in pain. I don't know a single human who wants to continually be in emotional pain. Exactly. I have a question, Luke, is that the same for you? Do you view the recovery, the healing process that same way? Like just, oh my gosh, can we hurry and get this over with? Cause I want to be done with it. Can you relate to what Alana just said? Just thinking back to, yeah, I don't want to be in pain anymore. How long is this going to take when it'll be over? 
Yeah. Okay. So I think a good way to wrap this all up is the same message we gave the first two episodes is wherever you are today is okay. If you are in those first stages on the path, you're on the path. Yeah. You're moving forward and you can keep moving forward and fighting where you're at usually just keeps you out there longer. So taking the time to accept where you're at and also be committed to your healing and your progression. And I think one thing I want to add to that is you have a choice. Both people have a choice and that constantly going, I'm just going to speak to the addict, to the, the person that betrayed the other person. <sighs> There's a time frame that if you're like, I don't know if this marriage is worth fighting for, that you go, okay, I am going to, for a period of time, if I want to be here, I'm going to be here. And every time Satan or my addict brain tells me it's too hard, I have my process to tie back to my value, which is my value is to be here for a period of time and dedicate all energy to this relationship, this recovery and the relationship at all. The getting in and out of the boat just completely stalls out the process. It takes everything away from being able to be empathetic towards her. And I think I've noticed Alana do that too. When she finally got to a point where she's, I don't want to do this anymore. I want a divorce. She didn't get divorced the next day. She said, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it, I don't remember what, what it was, Alana, three or six months. And at the end, and she's like, at the three month mark or the six month mark, I'm going to, I'll move forward. But until then, I'm just going to, I'm going to get, we're going to separate, but I'm not going to actually make, I'm not going to do it until then. And I think that weight off of her shoulders of being able to worry about at that point, the same thing for me saying, I'm going to give it six months and I'm giving it everything I have. It's important. Absolutely. I love that. And Luke, as part of, I, hopefully men are listening to this. I know a lot of wives who are listening probably want their husbands to be listening to this. And those of you who are new to hearing about Choose Recovery Services and all of the services that we offer, Luke is one of the trained coaches to help men in this process. You mentioned something, Luke, when you just spoke about your processes and kind of things that you do to keep on this path. And so if you are listening, you are an addict or you are struggling with this and you want to be on this path, then I cannot speak enough about how um, amazing and helpful it would be to meet with Luke. Yeah. And I think, thank you for that, Amy. Appreciate that. There are so many people out there with so many different styles. So whether it's a therapist or a coach, just go meet people. And like you shop for a car or something like that, you want to get something that feels good, that'll get you to the destination you want to in peace and safe and safety. Whether your marriage makes it or not, you do, you need every little, uh, I needed every little part and piece of somebody else's help. So there's a lot of different resources out there. Choose offers some certified, trained coaches in betrayal, trauma, and sexual addiction. Have a conversation with somebody and see if it fits. Thank you both for this conversation today. It's a little bit longer than we typically do, but that this is one area we don't want to rush through. We want to take time and give you these tools 
And if you um, have any more questions, always reach out, let us know. And if you find this helpful, please share and like the podcast so other women and other men out there who are on this journey can find it as well. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Wow, what an amazing episode. Thank you so much for joining our conversation today. Like me, I hope you can appreciate the value of listening to both Luke and Alana and how vulnerable they were in sharing their journey on this recovery model and what it could possibly look like for you. Again, wherever you're at in your journey, you are not alone. Please visit chooserecoveryservices.com and seek out the right therapist or coach for you to meet you where you're at in this journey. You are not alone. Choose recovery. Choose healing. Choose you. Take care, everybody.